Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 30 to 45. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him, give it to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went and greeted Elizabeth to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby lived in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the, son, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and the blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord God, we thank you uh, that at this season, as we come to the season every year, that the church in its wisdom through the centuries has saw fit to not just rush to Christmas, Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit was working in the church fathers and mothers throughout the centuries and millennia to really pause during this season so we don't miss the wonder and beauty that this time represents. So Lord God, as we also, for the next few weeks, seek to pause and reflect upon your coming, we trust that your Holy Spirit is speaking to our lives, guiding us and leading us encouraging us and guiding us to the places you want us to be. Lord God, we, we don't want to rush past the manger this, this season. Help us, Lord, to reflect and to wait and to anticipate your coming and your presence among us. We thank you, God. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So this week, uh, we are shifting our focus. Uh, we finished Nehemiah last week. Uh, it was a good study, and I hope it was a blessing to your lives as it was to mine. And now we are focusing on, on the Advent journey. As we've been mentioning, Advent is the season of preparation. If you're not from a church tradition that celebrates Advent, you may not know like that word when I throw it around. So it's basically in, in church, the church calendar for many denominations, it is uh, a time where we just wait for, for God. We prepare ourselves. 
We don't want to just rush into the season like I prayed. We want to, we want to stop and, and be ready to really understand what God is doing. So we have these four weeks, uh, which is you know, kind of funny because it's also the busiest four weeks, often for a lot of people, to just kind of slow down and wait. And that's really a theme of this season. It's waiting in anticipation for what God is doing. And we see this in our passage. Our passage is this famous story. It's called The Visitation where Mary and Elizabeth, they kind of meet and they're both overjoyed because of what God had done for them. You see that they both had been given promises. Both had been given these promises that, that their babies, their children would be great. That their children would change the world. Mary's promise that we just read before that the angel gave her was that You know, her child is going to be the king, and not just the king of one people, but the king of the world and the everlasting king that will never die. And Elizabeth was also given a promise earlier in Scripture, saying that her child would prepare the way for this this king. So both of them met. I mean, it's so amazing, uh, this quote. I don't know if you can read it. It's by N.T. Wright. It basically says, God's purposes and plan were given to these two women in this very out-of-the-way place. In this, you know, kind of uh, insignificant kingdom, insignificant time, uh, and women who were often not seen as fully kind of uh, human at that time with many people, God gave the message to them to give to the world of God's purposes and plan. So I see that the, these two women have this amazing promise, but they still didn't live in the fulfillment of that promise. They were kind of living between the promise and the fulfillment. You know, for both Mary and Elizabeth, they never fully saw the fulfillment of God's promise. Mary, through her life, she saw her son, uh, she saw great joy with her son, but she also saw great sorrow. I mean, they had to leave, uh, you know, uh, Bethlehem because King Herod was killing children to try to kill Jesus. They had to be refugees in a foreign land. And then later, Mary saw how Jesus was gaining enemies and walking this path that would eventually lead him to being tortured and killed. She experienced this promise, but she didn't fully see the full outcome of the promise. Also, Elizabeth. We see that Elizabeth was older, that she had a baby in her old age, which was a miracle in itself. We don't know if she saw the fulfillment of John's promise that he became the one preparing the way of the Lord, that he baptized Jesus. But we do know that whether she saw it or not, that John the Baptist was killed. He was beheaded. And so again, John's story ends in tragedy and sadness. And as a mother, that would just break her heart. So we see that they live between the promise and the fulfillment, and that is really kind of where we live as well. We all live in the midst of the promise and the fulfillment. Some scholars have called it the now and the not yet. We live in the now that Jesus has come. So we live on the other side of the promise that Mary and Elizabeth hoped for. In our, real, in our time, we know Jesus has come. We know that Jesus has lived for us and died for us and resurrected for us and ascended for us, that we have new life and salvation through him. But still we live in the not yet because still there's a reality of sin and death and evil and the devil among us. We are saved from sin, but we still sin. 
We are saved from death, but we still die. We are saved from the devil, but the works of the devil are all around us, and evil is all around us still. So we live in this time called the now and the not yet. And often in this time, it's a hard time in the midst of the now and yet yet, to have faith. Because in the midst of the now and not yet, we still live with the reality of evil and sin and death, and we often experience darkness. And that darkness can take many forms. I mean, we get disappointed in the now and not yet. We feel far from God in the now and not yet. God doesn't seem to be working in our lives or the world in the now and not yet. You know, we begin to doubt and lose hope in the now and the not yet. Even though the truth of Christ is with us, still, in the now and not yet, the truth of Christ is obscured. We see it, we know it, we trust it, we believe it, we read it in the scriptures, but the full fulfillment of God's hope has not, we, we still are not living in the midst of that reality. So in the midst of the darkness, it's easy then to struggle in faith. We can easily, in the midst of the now and not yet, stop praying. You know, we can go through the motions and do what we should do, but we are disconnected from the presence of God. That can easily happen even to the most righteous of Christians. We can easily just go through the motions in our faith. Just kind of do it because we know we should do it because that's what good people do and that's what good Christians do. So I do this and this and this, but there's not a lot of life in it. You feel kind of like a hollow shell. You know, there's an outward shell, but then the inside, there's no life. You know, and out of that, we can get cynical. We can start just getting cynical about the world. We can easily get cynical about each other. You know, it's, the interesting thing is if we're not praying and seeking the presence of God, then this can just become like a club. It can be like work. It can become like any like social function. And so when things go wrong in those things, we quickly get frustrated. You know, like if you don't get your, your box from Amazon on time, you like complain to Amazon, right? You're like, Amazon, why are you doing that? Because they're a business. You like have transactional relationship with them. But we don't have a transactional relationship here. Because we're the body of Christ. We're called to die for each other. We're called to love each other sacrificially. But without pr- prayer in the presence of God, we can begin to treat each other on a transactional basis. If you don't do what I think you should do, then I'm out. So it's a very different thing in the body of Christ. But without that, and in the midst of the darkness, we can easily just kind of lose it. We miss it. And then we also let fear control us. We start worrying about each other. Oh, I wonder, I hope this doesn't happen. I hope you don't do this. I hope we don't do that. We worry about the world. We worry about ourselves. What if I don't get that job? What if I don't get this? What if I didn't do that? And then little by little, we realize that we don't have any hope. That it's just darkness. Even though Christ has come, even though our salvation has been given, at Christmas time when we hear that verse from Isaiah, in the darkness there's shown a great light. We don't go, woohoo! We just go, okay, yeah, another reading. All right, next one. And so in the midst of that, we all live in that. That's the thing. That's not something I'm, I'm judging you about here. Because it's something I live in too. It's hard to have faith in the now and the not yet. And that's where we live. I mean, the scriptures describe this as a groaning. 
There's a deep groaning, a wordless groaning that comes from all the world, not just us, not just Christians. Everybody is experiencing that groaning. You know your friends that are not Christians. They're still longing for something. They're still needing something. They're looking somewhere for something that's going to give them hope. And so when we look at this passage from Mary and Elizabeth, we really learn from them about how to hold on to faith in the midst of this now and not yet, in the midst of this darkness, of how in the midst of the darkness, just to, to look under the sheet, under the darkness, and look for the light. Where's the light? Where's our truth? Where's our hope? Oh yeah, there it is. To kind of keep looking and searching and revealing that, even when it's hard to see. And we learn two things really in this passage about Mary and Elizabeth's um, anticipation. And how that anticipation helped them be faithful in the midst of the darkness. And we firstly learn about an anticipatory belief that they had, that they were given by God. And secondly, we learn about an anticipatory action, how they lived their life in anticipation of God's promise. And so we're going to look at those today as we think about uh, regarding God's hope as probable and to expect it, to wait for it, even if it doesn't always seem to come. And so we firstly look at the anticipatory belief that they had that led them to faith even in the midst of the darkness, and that is this belief in God's greatness. We see this in this passage. Mary uh, is confronted by this angel you know, this teenage mother living in the midst of this conquered nation in the middle of nowhere, this angel comes to her and says these words that we hear every year, right? We hear these words every year. If you've been in church for a while, as long as you've been in church, you've been hearing these words, right? If you've been in church for two years, you've been hearing these words for two years because we talk about them every single year at Christmas time. But just think through the lens, not of your, you know, 2,000 years later, cynical self of like, oh, I know all this. I know the Bible. Think about it through the lens of Mary, who is hearing this from this angel. Just think about it through that lens as I read it. The angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and God will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give uh, him the throne of his uh, father David, and he will reign forever, Jacob's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. Just imagine if you were Mary. You know, you're a teenager. You are betrothed to marry a much older man. You live in a very kind of traditional society where your voice is not heard that much. But then all of a sudden, you get this visitation, this angel in glory. We don't know what that looked like. You know, we, we get an idea from artists throughout the centuries and the millennia. But whatever it would look like for an angel to come down from heaven to earth and, and start settling, I mean, she needed to hear, do not be afraid, because it would have been scary. But the angel gives her this this amazing message that out of her womb will come the king of the, the world. The king of eternity will come. And even though she kind of heard that message, you can know for certain she never thought in a million years 
that it would be her to bring the Messiah. Never in a million years that she would be the one. That God would call her out of every single other person in the world. I mean, Mary, the, the tradition we have about Mary and the work, what we hear about Mary in the scriptures is that she was a very thoughtful and faithful young woman. She was someone who followed and the faith and she was someone who cared about God. But still, she probably wasn't the most righteous person in the world. She was just Mary, but God chose her. And we can see that this confused Mary as it would confuse us. It confused her, and we see that Mary responds, how can this be since I am a virgin? So she's basically saying, like, are you sure? Are you sure that this is, are you, is, is this really happening? I mean, you know, she could have thought, well, maybe I ate too much, like, pork or what, what well, she wouldn't be eating pork. Maybe I'd be eating too much lamb or something. I don't know what's going to happen. But she couldn't. Even in the face of an angel, she couldn't quite believe that God would do this and allow this in her life. And I think we can have that kind of sense in our life, too, that we can't quite believe that God fully saved us in Jesus Christ. We can't quite believe that you are a beloved child of God, that when God looks at you, he just is passionate in his love for you. It's hard to believe that. I can say it every week that that God in Jesus Christ saves you by grace alone. Pure, one-way love, but it's hard to believe it. I can say it to you over and over again. You can read it in the scriptures, but to really incorporate it is hard. And in various ways then, we we say to God, are you sure? Are are you sure, God? Did you? Well, no, there must be some sin that I'm going to do that's going to disqualify me. There must be some thing that I will do that will make you not love me. And it's just, again, obscuring the cross. We do it ourselves. We're like, nope, can't be true. Can't really be true. No, not really fully true. Can't be true for me. And it really maybe can't be true for you either. We can look at each other and go, well, they'll never be saved. God will never reach that person. They, will, are, they can never, ever experience these things. They will never get it. We do that all the time. But then we see how uh, the angel responds to that with Mary. The angel says to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. That last line sums up everything. The angel responds, or she says, are you sure? Can it, is it really true? I, I don't know. Can you really do that? And the angel says, yes, I can. yes, God can, because nothing is impossible with God. And this is the audacious belief that I think we are all challenged to believe in the midst of the now and not yet. In the midst of the, the cross being obscured in our life, we are challenged every single day to believe that nothing is impossible with God. But that is a hard belief to inhabit because we don't really believe it. I, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I, as your pastor, do not always fully believe it. I, you know, I see struggles around me. 
and I don't believe nothing is impossible with God. I read, the, I read the news, and I don't believe nothing is impossible with God. I look at our politics. I look at, um, you know, struggles, and I don't believe nothing is impossible with God. I struggle with it because it's hard to believe that nothing is impossible with God when we just don't see that working all the time around us. I mean, we get glimpses. We get glimpses that nothing is impossible with God, but then again, the, the darkness kind of comes back. We're like, oh, but that's not true in my own life. I prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. I prayed for my friend, and they didn't, nothing changed. So it's hard to believe that nothing is impossible with God when we always don't see it. But the challenge of the scriptures is really that we cannot believe in Christ if we do not believe nothing is impossible with God. We just can't. So we really cannot even say that we are Christians if we don't also take that belief that nothing is impossible with God. Because the whole narrative of Christ is the testimony that nothing is impossible with God. That even in the darkness there is light. That is the testimony of the scripture. That nothing is impossible with God. And so we are challenged to believe that even when we don't believe it. Even when you do not believe it, you're challenged to just say, I'm going to believe it. I don't see it. I don't see it in that relationship that's gone bad. But I'm going to believe it. I don't see it in my family. But I'm going to believe it. I don't see it in my church sometimes. I'm going to believe it. That nothing is impossible with God. And that changes the way that we respond to each other. It changes the way we respond to uh, our God. It changes the way that we react. It's just a simple going that there's something happening beyond what I can see. There's something beyond, even in when we just see the rain is falling all the time, that there is life in the midst of death. That is what we are challenged to believe. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are always reminded that there is life in the midst of death. And when we believe it, and when we live it, it leads us to go into to very deathly places with good news. It leads us to deal with our own death and our own uh, deathliness in our lives. It helps us to accept each other, all of other people who are struggling with sin and death. It gives us a whole new way of relating. When I was thinking about this this week, I was uh, listening to a song by one of my favorite songwriters, Andrew Peterson. And he writes uh, in this song, The Rain Keeps Falling about this. It's a great kind of Advent song that's not really, you know, billed as an Advent song. And in the last chapter, he writes this. He says, My daughter and I put the seeds in the dirt, and every day now we've been watching the earth for a sign that this death will give way to a birth, and the rain keeps falling. But down in the soil, where the sorrow is laid, and the secret of life is igniting the grave. And I'm dying to live, but I'm learning to wait. And the rain keeps falling. And that is such an appropriate kind of way to think about living in the midst of the now and not yet. Especially when we are living in the midst of the not yet. <laughs> Sometimes we have the now. We feel God's goodness and presence. Things go the way they're supposed to go. We experience new life. And fullness, and those seasons happen in all of our life, and they're good. 
And we say praise God when they do. But then there's those times we live in the not yet. Things are not going the way they should. Life does not go the way they should. Our relationships are not going the way they should. We just are, and we're wondering, where is God? And especially in the midst of the not yet, this is a, a beautiful way for us to think about it. You know, just that image of, him, of the songwriter with his daughter planting seeds. And then every day they go out and look, is there any sign of like uh, the sprout, you know, kind of breaking through the, the uh, soil? But no, there's not. And then every day just waiting, but the rain just keeps falling and the rain keeps falling. And that can often be what our life looks like. It just looks like, man, there's no life. There's no change. God is not working. But we still have that hope that the secret of life is igniting the grave. That there, there's in the deadness of the worst sin, in the deadness of our worst fears, in the deadness of our worst reality, there is life. And that is where the hope of there is nothing impossible with God sustains us. In the midst of the darkness, it, it keeps us going because we remember that the secret of life is igniting the grave. And we just get up and live that way. I'm going to believe it. I don't believe it, but I'm going to believe it today. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to try to believe it, and I'm going to fail at believing it. I'm just going to keep doing it because it's true. And it's where the hope in Christ comes from. So we see that they have this anticipatory belief. And it led them to anticipatory action, to live as if it were true. And we see this especially with Mary. Mary, I mean, she's such a great kind of example to us here. You know, Mary, uh, just so simply, she asks these simple questions. Like, is it true? Is it real? And then after the angel gives the answer, what is her answer? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be uh, to me according to your word. Is that a great, simple response? Like whenever God, like through his word, shows us his will, just to say to God, I'm your servant. I'll do what you will. And we see two responses here. The first is that saying, I am your servant. Now this, when she says this, this is a statement of fact. This is not a statement of achievement. You know, often when we think, of our faith, we can think of it in terms of achievement. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to, I want to love you. God, I want to give you my all. I want to, I want to. And then, you know, I strive to do that, but I fail. But here is not a statement of achievement. Here is a statement of fact. I am the servant of the Lord. She's not saying, I'll try to be your servant, God. She is saying, I am your servant. Something has happened to me that is beyond my own initiation. It is God's initiation. I am the servant of the Lord. You know, we see earlier in the passage, the angel says, God has put his favor on you. And just think about that. She didn't do anything to deserve that favor. God chose her. God chose to give her favor. And so when we who have faith in Jesus Christ, we also throughout the scriptures, are given that assurance that you are the servant of the Lord. Whether you deserve it or not, you are. So our first challenge in faith is just to live in that kind of reality. To be the servant of the Lord. To say, I am. I am God's servant. God has changed me. He has given me new life. And being the servant of the Lord 
we see through the example of Mary does not just mean doing more for him. I think when we think of a servant, we think of someone who does things, like someone serves somebody else. But that's not the example we get from Mary. Because Mary, after um, getting this um, message from the Lord, she didn't do much for a long time. She just, you know, uh, held uh, Jesus in her, her womb and kind of uh, let God do his work. But what she shows us in the example is that servanthood is not about doing. Servanthood is someone who listens and who trusts God. Servanthood is about being someone who seeks God. So being a servant then is not just about doing more. It's about waiting for God and trusting God more. So I want to encourage you that if you think about what does it mean for me to be a servant of God, what it means is seeking God's presence. That's what it means. What it means is praying and doing it when you don't want to. (laughs) What it means is seeking to receive God's grace and give it. And that's very different than saying being a servant of God means you got to serve as an usher and a PowerPoint, and then you got to go do all these other ministries. I mean, obviously, we want you to do those things. So sorry, Bev, if I'm like turning people off those. I'm not. We want you to do those things, they're important. But that's not necessarily your servanthood. That is an outcome of your servanthood to God. It is not the content of your servanthood. The content of your servanthood is praying, seeking God's presence, allowing God to shape you, and then out of that comes what we give. It is the outcome of servanthood, is loving others, caring for others, keeping the church up, all these things. So servanthood has a, has a very different connotation. And we see it in the second part here. Mary says, Behold, let your, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So what here, she's doing here is she is submitting herself to God's word. She is saying, I will follow you. And so we see here that servanthood has another component. It's not just about what we do, but it's about our character. God, when he gets us, doesn't just say, I want you to do things for me. Because that would mean God is just using us. You know, we're just, we're just God's workforce. He just, you know, has stuff for us to do. But we don't see that at all. What God's intention for our life is to shape our character, to transform us, so that we will go out as transformed people or people being transformed and share the transforming work of the gospel with other people. I was reminded of this a few weeks ago when I was looking on Facebook. A friend of mine posted uh, this uh, little uh, like slide. And we know who Judas is, right? He's the one who betrayed the Lord. And uh, the slide said this. Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best advisor, the best counselor, yet he failed. Isn't that interesting? I never thought about Judas from that perspective before. That It is so true. He had the best of everything. He, he had the best possible leadership over his life. He was lacking in nothing. He had the best stuff, yet he failed. And this slide went on to say, the problem is not the leadership or the church you go to. If your attitude or character or your heart isn't transformed, you will always be the same. And my friend responded with a comment, Ouch. And it's true, because this is revealing, right? 
I can have the best mentors. I can listen to the best preaching in the world and still not follow Christ. I can still not get it. Because it's about my heart being transformed. And if I'm not allowing God to transform me, and if I'm not participating in the grace of God he's given to me, I will always be the same. We see that Mary was open to being moved. And Elizabeth was open to being moved. You know, Elizabeth is the most humble char- one of the most humble characters in scriptures. Like if you look through all the scriptures, Elizabeth is so humble. You know, she, Mary comes to her and Mary is, has the Messiah in her womb. And, and so Elizabeth is always going to be second fiddle. She's always going to be the second. She's never going to get the spotlight, ever. Just like her son is never going to get the spotlight, but she's just fine with that. She says later, she says, how can it be that I should even have the privilege of being next to the Lord, the mother of my Lord? How can it be that I even have the privilege of that? She was just happy to be there. She was just happy to be in the room. She didn't need to be first. She didn't need to have the spotlight on her. She was just happy to be where the Lord was. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us. Are we just happy to be where the Lord is? Are we just happy to be there? You know, our lives begin to change when the cross looms large in our life. Sometimes it can loom pretty small in our life. You know, like I've got my life, I'm doing my things, and then there's the cross. I go to church. I might read some scriptures sometimes. Maybe go to a small group. But it's the cross. And then I do my own thing around the cross. But when the cross begins to loom large in our life, and my life becomes subservient to the cross, if, if the concerns of my Lord Jesus Christ are bigger than my own, then things begin to change for me. My attitudes begin to change because I must forgive. And I must reconcile. I must love. I must care. My, my desires change. I, I, sh- I want to pray. I want to uh, give my life for others. When the cross looms large in our life, things begin to change. And so our challenge uh, today is, wherever you're at, whatever's going on in your life, whether you have just stopped praying and seeking the presence of God, whether you have, whether the cross is very, looms very little in your life, whether the shadow, your shadow is over the cross and not the cross's shadow over you. No matter what, to know the wonder and beauty of this season, that God is here, Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord of heaven and earth and the universe has come down to save us from our sins. No matter where you're at, if you don't even know who God is today, you're here and you're kind of curious about it. You're dry or you're doubting. You're excited and your faith is renewed. Receive the blessing of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I heard a preacher just recently say that uh, he was talking to someone with, from uh, another religion and they were, he gave this analogy. He said, you know, for, for both of us, it seems like, you know, kind of God is at the top of the mountain and we have to go up to the mountain to, to meet God. And his friend said, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And he said, well, you know, in Christianity, it's different. We don't go up to the mountain to see God. God comes down from the mountain to meet us. That's the difference. And that is what we celebrate. 
In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the now and not yet, we remember again and again that God comes down to us. That to not let the manger pass you by this season, but to receive his love and greatness and then take a step towards him in anticipation of what he is doing and will be doing. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you. You are good and amazing. There is nothing impossible with you. Lord God, we, we so often forget that, Lord. Our, our shadows loom over the cross, and the cross's shadow doesn't loom over us. But Lord, we're, we're so grateful for the Gospels. Because they draw us back to the reality of your coming. That we don't come up to you, that you come down to us. What an amazing reality that is, Lord. Help us to anticipate your coming in the now and the not yet. To know the now, what we have. We have new life. We have uh, sin is defeated. We will not die but be with you. Evil ultimately is just a shadow. The devil is just a shadow. And in the midst of the not yet, Lord, help us to hope in you in the darkness. That you are with us. That you are here that we can continue to anticipate your work, even though it sometimes seemed like a seed in the dirt, in the grave, and there's no new life, but we know the secret of life is igniting the grave, even though the rain keeps falling. Lord God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord God. We give you all the praise and glory. In your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship him.
goodness and love of God that comes down the mountain, that doesn't wait for you to come up, comes down to meet you, to save you and is here with you. Go in the name of God who makes you and has created you and loves you. Go in the name of Jesus Christ that has saved you and loved you, loves you. Go in the name of the Holy Spirit that is with you and loves you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.